Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the All About Bounty podcast. Today we are joined by Matt Raywalt. This podcast is sponsored by KO Financial, specialists in mortgages and protecting your family's finances. Whether you're looking for the best mortgage for you or want to make sure you and your family aren't struggling if you are seriously ill or pass away, call KO Financial on 0141 447 or email advice at kofinancial.co.uk for more information. Known for his time in WWE under the name Aiden English, Matt was a real pleasure to talk to as he goes through his whole career, what it's like dealing with the WWE schedule, which is a lot more hectic than other people realise, and his passionate view on disability and inclusion and representation of everyone in, in any circumstance. And it was really a pleasure to talk to him. Being a big fan of him myself, watching WWE television, it was really cool. And he he was really down to earth and enjoyable to speak to. And I think a lot of people will take a lot from what he spoke about. I hope you enjoy it. Okay, so we are here with Matt Raybott. How are you doing today, Matt? I'm doing great, man. How are you? Yeah, I'm great. I've been really looking forward to this. I was a bit, couldn't believe uh, being able to get in touch with you and get the reply. It was my team at first been a, been a huge fan of you. Well, no. I mean, like I said, like I, you know, and in the wrestling biz, we there's a lot of wrestling podcasts and different things like that. But when I when I read uh, what kind of you had in mind, what your show was about, and what you were about, I was like, oh, that's that's different, and that's something that uh, I and I told you in our messages. I I strongly believe in just trying to represent all people and getting some representation and visibility for people all across the spectrum of life and everything like that. So I like I like the message you put out there, man. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And, and like I've seen you before the call, we, you know, for me, it's like you said, there's so many podcasts out there, but there's not many people kind of putting disability in there and saying, you know, we're here as well. There's, Absolutely. There was a big thing in wrestling with, you know, women and that, that whole revolution, so to speak. And and uh, the hashtag was give, you know, give women a chance and give leaders a chance. And I feel as though there's a bunch of people with disabilities that would be great to have to have in there and we're not we aren't really given the chance so mm-hmm. hopefully that's a hashtag we can start <laughs> but um, hey yeah. in this world right the the, the digital you know, world the internet man anything can happen you never know you never know so uh, when you've applied to me like that i thought well that's really amazing that you, that's the way he thinks about it and and uh, you just totally understood what i was talking about what why are elements of that so important to you what can like representation, the quality of things like that. What 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 strikes you so much? Yeah, because I think it's something that in today's world, one, I think our, the audience, you know, that consumes media. We're talking about all media, which has exploded now. It's not just television, newspapers, right? Like it was thirty years ago. We got it's TV, newspapers, on the internet, social media, and there's dozens of social media platforms from YouTube to Facebook to Twitter and Instagram. So it's not just one thing either. There's so much content and media to consume that it's like, hell, it's high time. We should be able to see everyone across given that much content and media. We should be able to see everybody, every color, creed, orientation, ability, uh, all that. But I don't think we do enough. We're still struggling 
with seeing with seeing that enough, it's still very one sided in a lot of areas of the media. And so I just think I think it's poor. I hear stories all the time from people in general, but wrestling fans, especially that's kind of my niche. But just it's the classic tale of there's kids out there. And when if they can look on that screen or for us, you know, in the ring and see somebody who goes in a primary role, who's like, hey, that's like me. I either I have that skin color. I have that issue. I have that ability or disability or I have that orientation. What like just like I said, whatever it is, that's so important to a kid, um, you know, growing up, I think. And you hear it all the time. So we need to see that more. No, it's so true because I can relate to that so much being a wrestling fan from a really young age. And you you always you obviously see your favorites and you go, oh, I, wish, I wish I could be like that. But for me it was more like realizing none none of them none of them were like me on the screen. So it was quite deflating that way. I used to I went to a wrestling school once or twice to try things out and try to cut a promo or something, but it just it was kind of like you're in a wheelchair, there's not much of a chance of you getting involved here. And for in a time where equality and representation is getting pushed so much, was I feel like disabilities kind of left out of that conversation a little bit. Yeah, no, I think and I think so too. And it's wrestling, admittedly, is a tough because obviously it's extremely physical for a lot of it. Yeah. So certain disabilities do absolutely limit that part of you know that mm-hmm. part of, of their course. programming. But I think to kind of leads to what you say, and it's funny because I have some actually very personal experience with a friend of mine who, uh, who has, he has cerebral palsy and he's in a, in a wheelchair. And it's funny because before I even got like, I probably shouldn't even say that before I got like properly trained, me and my buddy kind of did this little very small kind of indie tryout show kind of thing here in the U S and our, our, my friend who I was just telling you about his name's Justin told me about it. And so he came with us we loaded up his van with his, you know, which which could fit his chair and everything. And he was my manager and he put on a suit and like, he cut a promo and like he rolled, he he had his automatic chair. And like my uh, other friend was like the heel manager and he, he rolled right in, knocked him off the apron. Like when he was trying to interfere and like, it was crazy, but I'm like, this is the kind of their involvement is possible. Like a lot of people would look, would have looked at him and be like, Whoa, stay far away from the ring as you can make sure they're, you know, very kid gloves and everything like that. But I'm like, look, he can, he's confident. He can cut a hell of a promo. He's funny as hell. I'm like, so especially in all kinds of roles like that or creative roles, I think people with, you know, even with disability and everything like that could be much more represented in wrestling. Oh, it's so true, and it's, it's really cool to hear somebody that's been in, been in the big companies and been there and done it, and to say that, you know, because you don't hear many wrestlers come out and say that there's a lack of representation, especially for companies that are so, you look at the big wrestling companies there, they're so keen on getting that right, you know, equality out there. That you, like you say, there's so many talented people out there, and you never know who's going to be able to do what. But yeah, no. we're, talk, we're talking about how much, you know, obviously you're, You've been in WWE, you're wrestling, and then these. I'm already saying originally you wanted to become an actor. Yeah, no. Um, well, to I mean, to be, if I'm being perfectly fine, I studied acting so it could help me in wrestling. Oh, yeah. I always wanted to be a wrestler, you know what I mean? I always wanted to wrestle in the WWE and things like that. But um, I kind of got into acting in high school and then kept pursuing it, always within the back of my mind. It's like, hey, maybe these skills will transfer to wrestling. Yeah, that's really cool. Actually, um, 
because I, my, my follow-up to that is going to be the, what made you transfer, but it's cool to know that you, you're waiting and pursued that. It's quite, it's, it's often I see the wrestling, I feel like it's undervalued in terms of getting over and getting in that spotlight. Is the actual, other side, and other, especially now, you get a lot of wrestling fans that want that, they want the kind of perfect technical five-star match, but for me, it's always been more about the character and the story. And that seems like that seems like something that's kind of lacking more so in modern day wrestling than it used to be. I don't know what you think. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to me, that's something that I truly—it's story and um, and selling. And I think like there's a, there's more of it than I think we realize. But I do agree. I think there's a lot of people out there who, and especially again with so much to consume, so much wrestling's all over online. All every independent is able to stream online now, so you can kind of see everybody. Then you've got the major shows that everybody I think is just trying to get sometimes just get the attention of their boss or the audience. So they're just do, doing the as much as they can, which yeah. sometimes be detrimental. And like, just sometimes that's why, you know, if we're going to, if we get a little wrestling nerdy for a second, I Randy Orton is my favorite wrestler of like the last 20 years. I think like I've w- learned so much watching that guy and and I, I've had the opportunity to watch him at live events at TV and work with him in and out of the ring. And just, he's the really, one of those really great guys with slow down, let the camera see you, let the camera tell the story. Like what we're going to but he also doesn't, he's not like Hulk Hogan. He's not just like lumbering yeah. around the ring doing nothing. Like he, he does some, he got some good action in there, but it's picking his spots and telling those stories and everything like that. He's so, so damn good in my opinion. That's really interesting because I, I feel as though he's really under, you know, he's, he's, he's almost underrated by the new generation now. It's kind of people say, oh, he's, can be can be born, can be planned. But I, I, I've always thought the same as you. I've always thought, technically, always on point. He's always made it, you always either want to watch him get beat or you want to watch him win. He's always been good at that. 100%, absolutely. And do you think that's like, how do you kind of, how hard a skill is that to teach in wrestling? Is it something that you're just kind of born with or can you learn it? Oh, I mean, that, that comes with time. I mean, I could, I'll be honest. I mean, some people might have more innate kind of understanding of it. Some of the, we all learn things at different pace. Some people pick up things slower. Some people things pick up things quicker, but being able to, you know, have that kind of presence and tell a story. And like I said, slow down and really kind of lay things out for the audience in a fashion that they can understand. Those are skills. I will say they take time. Those do not come quickly. Uh, I, you know, those, there are certain things that I'm just learning me. I'm coming up on nine years in the business, um, which is not itself is not a crazy long time, but it's enough time. And I'm still learning things and still getting those. I'm like, Oh my God, I can slow down even more. I'm like, Oh, I don't need to do all this in this part of the match or whatever it is. So those are things you definitely pick up over time. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you're coming to name years the business. You started in 2011 under the name Matt Marquis at the Chicago State of Wrestling. And I believe your first match, your first televised match was an um, intergender match with Paige. Is that correct? Oh, that's right. Oh, my God. I almost forgot about that, too. Yeah, it was uh, back at the FCW TV. It was, um, who was it? it was me and Audrey Marie who was the developmental star at the time versus Rick Victor, one half of the ascent later Ascension and, uh, and Paige. And she slapped the crap out of me. That, that's really cool because, you know, 
way we're talking about equality and things like that, it made me wonder, like, what was it like to be in that kind of action? Do you think that had a more of a prominent place in wrestling as we go on and people like, you know, women and women are so much more featured now, but many of it in WrestleMania? Is, oh, is there yeah. more of a chance of that being involved there, you think? I, I mean, you know what? I, fr- I really, really hope so. And like, even when I was doing that match, we didn't do a ton of those, but we did. It was still, it's still very much the old school, which I understand, I guess. Um, you know, if the girl tags out, you both have to switch, right? Mm-hmm. Or if the guy tags out, you both have to switch because they can only girls with girls, guys with guys. That's what they would do. But we're starting to see, we've seen it on the independence for years of uh, men wrestling women, which I love again, because it shows, it gives us again, we, this is not at the risk of being, shunned this is not real right we're, this is entertainment we're telling a physical story yeah so yeah exactly you know we don't have to have like certain weight classes or gender like we can tell this however we want exactly so we can make you know a woman the baddest ad you know baddest mfr on the planet she can super <laughs> kick the heads off of every guy in the building and win the world championship if we want to write it that way Right. So I think we're starting to see a little bit of that. Will we see it on places like WWE and everything? I think it'll be slower, Mm -hmm. but we got teases of it in the, uh, I believe it was the Royal rumble last year with, you know, some interaction with Nia Jax and some of the guys and, and things like that. And I'm hoping we see it more because we do. I know we see it here on the independence in the United States. So I think that's something we're inching towards, but that I would love to see go much more. Yeah, and the point you make is exactly what I was going to say about it. Just when you go back to, we were talking about how it's all the the story and the working of the match, and you can work the match whichever way you want to work it. Hundred percent. So it's it's all good about that. But it got you know as I was kind of researching and looking through your career, there's something I've always wanted about wrestling, especially when you come into the WWE scene, which is you know on a developmental contract, you're kind of brought into do the job, you know, and you you you, you were doing that for a time period with guys like that were up and coming like Ryback and Bray Wyatt and Big E, you know, what is that? Was that just part of the process to you, or or is that kind of a struggle mentally? Because you're trying, to, you know, you're trying to break through and make it for yourself, but you're also at that process where you're going every night having to lose in squash matches and stuff. So so, sure. how does that play with your mind as an athlete? Oh, honestly. So I think it obviously, again, everyone's in an individual, but for me, I felt so, I remember at the beginning, cause I got signed very early. I got, you know, I'm, I will fully admit it, knock on wood kind of thing. Um, I had trained in Florida under Norman Smiley. Like that's where I paid for my training. Um, and then got signed six months later because he recommended me and it was good timing. And we had a good relationship. Like, so a lot of guys will work for years to get, you know, get to get to FCW at the time. So for me, it was just like, let me, yeah, I still have a lot to learn about wrestling. I'm a good bumper. <laughs> um, so if that, if that's how I can contribute and at least be seen at the first, yeah. Guys like Ryback, Big E, Bray Wyatt, Leo Kruger, um, worked with all those guys a lot, kind of establishing them on TV. And, uh, no, it was actually really great because those guys, I got in good with them because they were like, oh, man, you were great to work with. You made me look awesome. I appre-. They were very appreciative. Some guys in the business aren't, but everybody I worked with in those early days, they they were good dudes, and they really appreciate the effort you put in to, to try to make the bumps look big or nasty or, and make, the, make them the stars that they went on to become. And so 
No, for me, it was all part of the learning process. I was still new in the business and I wanted to take any opportunity I could. Yeah, and I guess that's the kind of mindset you have to have if you're going to get better than it, really. It's, it's cool to hear those guys, you know, they've obviously worked hard. It's good to hear that they're, you know, good people as well. Because I think people have the kind of wrong interpretation of wrestlers sometimes. Um, you know, the, the term Billy gets used far too often, I feel like. But sure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I loved it when you, when you, you know, talk, to talk about your journey. Like, I, I loved it when you introduced, like, singing uh, part of your, as part of your walkout convention. So you, were, you started doing that and... It, you know, it really it looked like it looked like you were really enjoying it. Was was that like an idea that, that came from you, or was it like a creative thing? No, no, no. I mean, I I have to fully admit, most of what you saw, for, I mean, from like the drama king, the early drama yeah. king days, was all me. Um, nice. Yeah, I came I came up with the the drama king character and the artiste kind of thing, singing you know parodies of musical numbers. I will say this though, William Regal was a big, was a big, uh, a giver of advice to me. And he, he always, he, he loved the character and had some great ideas. He was the one who came up with the, the roses that they would toss oh, at the end of some of the matches that, that I had or whatever. He was like, Oh, they need to do that. He goes, it's like, you're, you're finishing the opera and, and the, the audience loves you and everything is so that was his idea to be fair. And, uh, so I always loved ch- talking with him about things, but the character overall, from the most part, and the singing and everything—that was—that was all my idea. That's really cool. That's really uh, like because I always thought it was one of the most creative things that I've seen in a while. And I, you get you get a lot of people that talk about maybe not having that sort of creative freedom in, in, in the big companies and how if you, I mean, you and Rusev really showed that when you when you were given the chance to show what you were really like, you became one of the hottest topics in wrestling at that time period. What was that? What was that whole period like for you? Because because for me, I was I had this going down the street and people were, people were sitting Bruce every day and stuff. And I, I live in Scotland, so that was kind of surprising. Surprising. And <laughs> um, what was that whole journey like? I mean, it was. It, it's kind of like what you just said. It, it's um, in my head, it was people getting a chance to see a little at least even a sliver of like real personality and especially you know it started with rusev because you know it was rusev day and i think even if it began as like i think people were ready to see his evolution because he had always been the you know eastern european bad guy whether it was russia or bulgaria whatever they decided to land on um but he was just a big brooding bad guy you know who didn't really talk much and spoke a foreign language and beat people up right but I think people knew how good he was and could be, and they so they wanted to see more. And then, as they got into the Rusev Day thing, he finally got to let some of his his funny and entertaining personality come out. And and then me being a part of that, I even got I got to do that a little bit myself too. Between the entrances and the backstage segments and the, the twelve days of Rusev and all this stuff that, yet yeah, on paper is such a weird pairing. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't seem to really makes sense <laughs> but uh but the people bought into it they got this ch- chance to see just like i said a little bit of our real personalities and fun loving selves so that was a lot of fun yeah i mean it's so true because i to be honest i can sometimes go in and out of watching ron's back then regularly because i i, I it's when a tv show is always on when he had heads and flows and and when when that all started with reset myself 
I was thinking that these two guys are great together. Uh, it, got, it actually got me back into watching wrestling for a period of time quite heavily. So uh, it's it's always good to hear that. I feel like, and, and I was really I'm, I'm surprised that, that there wasn't more made out of that. And it, but like you said, you and Rusev were able to be yourself, and it really came across really strongly on screen. And, and I really enjoyed that pairing. But kind of going to before that and how you really burst upon the scene as part of the Vod Dragons two years after you joined WWE. And then you go to win the NXT Tag Team titles against Blake and Murphy. And it made me wonder, like, yeah, you held the titles for 61 days. What was that? What was that whole time period like for you? I mean, that was, that that whole, like, even the summer leading up to, to, to take over at Brooklyn, the first one, was, was kind of a whirlwind because we came on the scene and we were we were booked as bad guys and you know we were these just like mm, turn them up and mm, we're just gonna be bad guys and i it's you want a funny story so there was at for nxt we used to tape three or four episodes at a time right um so there was one time where we weren't on television for like a taping but then we would keep doing all the live events around florida and people were loving us like they were making us full-on baby faces at the house shows. Yeah. And so uh, they started booking us as baby faces on the house shows sometimes. And so it was like, oh, okay. So I kind of figured this is where we were going. And then we came to TV and we went out and we had a match. We had like a, a squash match thing. And we went out there and we did it kind of as baby faces. And blah, blah, blah. And we won. Yay, raise your hand. We came back and they go, what was that? We're like, we're, I don't, what do you mean? They're like, you're why'd you wrestle? Why'd you blow a comeback? Why are you wrestling as baby faces? We're like, Oh, we've been doing that on, on the house shows. People seem to really enjoy us. They're like, no, we, we have not booked you. We have not changed anything. You are still bad guys. Next match, like an hour later, you have to go out there and do it again as bad guys. So I was like, okay. But then finally d- during that summer, they finally just gave in to the crowd reaction and they're all right, we'll let you be, uh, good guys and i had no idea they were going to build it up to that first takeover special i feel very very lucky to be on that um or that first brooklyn takeover brooklyn which was an incredible experience yeah that, that crowd was amazing i remember that i remember watching that going, i was popping harvey's one of those tables and <laughs> um, me too <laughs> yeah but uh, you know maybe that's quite an interesting point though because like you say they, they wanted you like you were booked as bad guys and you were getting cheered but see, see to me, why why is it so important to strictly be a bad guy or strictly be a good guy? Why why can't why can't you why can't you be both? Like, I mean, that isn't the isn't the most important thing the crowd reaction. You know, I always like if 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 they're cheating, you just keep doing what you're doing, and then like you, if, if if being a heel is what's getting you shared, do that then. You know, like, I don't I don't I don't I don't understand this mindset of. You have to be, it's black or white. It doesn't always have to be black or white. Nothing in the real world, like nothing outside of wrestling black or white. So why would wrestling be black or white? 100%. I agree with you. And then, and sometimes they, you know, that's the case. And a lot of people kind of swirl, but with wrestling, they often will try to, you know, we're trying, they want to paint because we don't have as in depth of storytelling as like a TV show or a movie, right? Where we mm-hmm. follow a character on these long journeys. Like we get, we get to see them for three, you know, three to five minutes a night. And most, some of that might just, just be wrestling. So we don't even get to hear them talk. So our storytelling is wide, but it's not very in depth. 
So I think sometimes they like to keep it simple, which, which I understand too. And sometimes it needs to be kept simple, good versus bad. That's such, that's the easiest story in the world to tell. That's a big part of it. Good guy versus bad guy, black versus white, you know, red versus brown. It just clear lines, make it easy for the audience. So I understand that, but I do love to see more depth, more variation in characters. And I do think people can straddle the line. I don't see why not. Yeah, because, I mean, you're right in saying that when you, especially in the review, when you get the pro, they're on all the time, this crazy schedule, all year round, so it's easier to always produce the kind of more simple storylines, which is understandable to an extent, but I also feel like, because it's now, you know, back in the day, perhaps people, there was a lot of people that still felt, that didn't really maybe know um, that wrestling was completely kind of, Planned out, and you know there was there was there was still that key fame element of it, and um, but now with social media, everyone knows the deal, and I I always feel like the biggest draw in wrestling, you know, in wrestling is the story, and the depth of it, and then not so much because, you know, whether you win or everyone knows you're booked to win or lose. It's not so the story isn't whether you win or lose; it's why you want to win or lose. You know, absolutely. Yeah. The characters and their motivations and yeah. Why you're doing what you're doing. Um, we're all playing parts here. So it's like, yeah, just you, like you said, and we're on, you know, every single week of the year, especially, you know, the major shows are, it's like you have like most shows have what 20, you know, 20 episodes. If you're lucky in a season, you've got 52 weeks every single year, nonstop. You have, you have, you could do the longest story ever and draw it out and really get in some layers. But I, you know, Ratings and marketing and everything sometimes come into play, shareholders. So uh, there's a lot of factors going on. Uh, yeah, I guess there's, there's a lot of elements that you perhaps, uh, you know, a lot of fans don't really aren't aware of if you're Vincent Man or if you're Tony Khan trying to make these calls. And, and maybe that's an element of wrestling that once people understand that more, they'll have a better appreciation for how difficult that side of it actually is. Sure. But, uh, you know, to go back to your kind of journey, in, in two th- April 2016, you made your main roster debut and um, it was, you defeated the Lucha Dragons. And something that I found really interesting with that whole debut and journey was this led to you being involved in the number one contender situation. And in this match, one of the, one of the wrestlers got injured, actually concussed during the match. And... You know, as I was reading about this, I thought you're you've made your debut. You're oh, you're probably buzzing to be there, and you're to be involved in the title picture. And then a real life injury happens in the middle of it. How how hard is that to handle? Especially because it's your debut, and also because of the fact, from a human level, you're worried about your colleague, knowing that he's seriously hurt, but knowing that the crowd's watching you live, and it has to keep going on. So, how do you deal with a situation like that? So that one, that, that was a hard, that was, you're right. So here's, it was our, all of ours. Cause there was Enzo and Cass for the other guys. And so it was their, it was their pay-per-view debut as well. That we all debuted at the same time. So their first pay-per-view in the WWE. Uh, and for me, it was in Chicago. It was in my hometown. So now I'm in the hometown crowd, the Allstate arena, the arena I've always wanted to wrestle in my entire life. Um, and yeah, we're, it's, we're in this number one contenders tournament and it's also, I believe it was the first match of the night and um, it happens about two minutes in. Uh-huh. Right? So we didn't even get to do anything. Um, it was devastating. Um, but most important, like you said, the most important thing though, was I was, we were worried about, about Eric, about Enzo. 
and just making sure he was okay. And as I, was, I just remember we had to drive on to Monday night raw after the show, but I just, I was texting big Cass all night and just been like, how's it going? Is, is he okay? Like, where, what's the deal? And everything like that. You just got to check in on, on your brothers. Cause that's, you know, that's what we are. We're family in this, in this business, you know, whether you like it or not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, do you think that's maybe something that people don't respect enough is the element of, you know, there's a lot of injuries involved in this and, and, and maybe things that people don't understand entirely of like, yes, it's scripted. Yes. You're, it's a performance, but you do get hurt. There is serious kind of consequences to it. And do you, what has that been like for you? Have you ever experienced a situation where you've had a serious injury? I am thankful. I've only had minor injuries. Thank goodness. Um, nothing that has required surgery Had one. I've had one registered concussion that kept me out for a little bit. And to be fair, I have a partial pectoral pair, uh, tear that we weren't sure what it was when I got hurt. Um, and so like, I just took a couple weeks off. They like, they would check on me periodically and I got the motion back. I got full range of motion. I was like, Oh, I can kind of work out again. And I got in the ring and they cleared me because I can move. But as things swelling and everything went down, it's, there's a big divot right here in my chest. And like, I can't bench press anymore. Mm -hmm. So I probably, <laughs> it's one of those things I probably should have gone and gotten surgery on it. Um, if I was, but I was a young, stupid, uh, pro wrestler and I was feeling okay. So, so I did. And, but that's those, that and the concussion are probably the most serious things I've ever had. Do you think that the fact that there's so much surveillance all the time, how do you feel about an off season and an off season, something do you think should, should happen then? I think there's a couple options. I mean, one, I think one of the appeals of wrestling for, again, we're mainly talking about the major companies who run television shows every single week, right? 52 weeks of, of wrestling. There's a couple of things you could do. Um, I could, because one of the appeals is that it's on every single week. It's reliable, right? There's no, there, there is no like season premiere and season finale. Maybe that, that is an option though. You can make it more like traditional television. The other thing is, and it might be more expensive, but if you make sure your roster is large enough to where you can cycle people in and out, you know what I mean? Like where you can pretty much guarantee every year, every wrestler gets at least an extended you know, month off. Like you don't have to travel. You don't have to do anything for four weeks in a row. Something like that could, I mean, could help people too. You can take that time. You can, whether it's just decompressing and traveling or doing rehab, prehab, just, you know, whatever it is. I think if you can cycle people, even, and I'm talking about even top guys, you should have enough top talent to where, you know, like a Roman reigns. And we saw that with the pandemic a little bit where if they leave for two or three months, you're fine. You have other people who can be the top of the card. So that's something I would like to see happen because I do like the appeal of wrestling on every week. It's something you can count on, you know, every Monday or Wednesday night or whatever it is. So, but maybe make it so people get more kind of a pro a time off because nobody and there, nobody wants to ask for time off because nobody wants to lose their spot. Mm -hmm. But if it's coming from the top down, it's coming from the bosses themselves saying, Hey, you got to take a month, you know, here or whatever, take six weeks here. Then I think it could be healthy for everybody. You know, I've, I've never actually heard that way of putting it. I think you're totally right. I think that would really, it also keeps 
the show fresh as well. Yeah. New opponents for everybody, you know what I mean? New stories with people who may not have ever worked together before because we don't have the same five guys at the top, you know, all year round. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so to kind of continue with how your journey was, we, your tag team with Seth Lesser, uh, Lesser that known as Simon Gotch, he was released in 2017. And I, I noticed that you said previously, you, the two of you were kind of thinking about doing your own thing anyway. But how difficult was that to kind of go to, to deal with the fact that he wasn't going to be there anymore and you were now officially going, going to solo? Well, uh, I mean, you said, I, like I said, I think at that point, we, the Vaude Valence felt like it, it, it didn't, it wasn't going to get the chance we wanted it to get, you know, we had tried and it kind of, it did and it didn't. And then it just kind of was stagnant. And I don't think there was anybody in the back or in creative that was interested in trying to make anything more of that. So I think we both saw that writing on the wall. So for me, um, I was ready to hit the ground on my own, whenever that would be, whether we were going to split up, uh, creatively soon after, or in, in this case, when Simon was released, but no, I, w- I was, I was ready for it. Cause I, I think we were, like I said, I think we were both ready to be on our own given the opportunity. Yeah. And I think your assessment of the objective of the and seeing that you weren't really going to get what you wanted out of it. So you both went your own ways and that's, it's a really kind of good mindset to have an approach to have with it. But we spoke about how you went on to what with Rusev and how successful that was. And you also had a spell in commentary, the 205 Live, while you are participating in SmackDown. Was that a difficult thing to juggle those two responsibilities? So I wasn't sure. I thought it would be because when they first approached me, uh, they were like, hey, yeah, I think you'd be good at this. Give it a try. And then when they wanted me to do 205 Live... They said, uh, you can still do, you know, SmackDown and wrestle there if they need you, but then you'll just do this afterward. And so I was like, oh boy, I'm going to have to be running all over the place. But for whatever reason, I think they might've seen that I was doing the commentary. And so after that, they didn't really use me for SmackDown. So I was able to concentrate on the commentary on 205 Live and telling those stories. So uh, while I was worried that it would be a big juggling process, it ended up being just kind of a shift of focus for me for a while. Yeah, I, I thought you were really, you seemed really natural and comfortable going to there. I really enjoyed your, your work on that. No, thank you. I, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was going to be a very short thing, like, oh, a couple months if, if, at most. But I chose to stay, keep doing it. Michael Cole said, if you want it, you can kind of go. I just thought we'd try this out. And I was like, you know what? If you've got a place for me, I'd love to keep going. And uh, no, because I, I loved it. I loved the opportunity to sit back and tell other people's stories. And you you hear me now. I like to talk. Um, I like to tell stories. I like to interact. So that, that was, for me, it was a 45-minute promo every week. And it yeah. was a chance to not have to be in the rat race of like, notice me, notice me, notice me, get, o- I like, get myself over the way I would get over as a commentator is by putting the talent over. And so that was kind of a unique opportunity to tell other people's stories, especially those guys. There was so much talent on 205 Live. And it's great because that's exactly her, what her commentator should think. You know, it's all about putting over the, putting over the staff, so to speak. And you did a really good job of doing that. But oh, thanks. earlier this year and April, you were, you were released due to, budget cuts of the because of the COVID and all that all that kind of stuff going on how how has that affected you and is that a door that's still open generally or are you looking at other opportunities now 
I mean, I would like to think the door is still open if and when there's an opportunity. It's you know, it's a hard time for even the biggest companies out there. But um, for I mean, it, it was hard. I mean, it's it, I you know, people come and go all the time, and um, I, I've, I've told people in my life this. I'm like, the, the tough thing is, if I were released during any other time in in recent history, it's I, I honestly I would have been fine. It's like okay. I hit the ground. I know where to go get booked. I know there's conventions, there's independence, there's all this stuff, but I got released at a time when literally nothing was happening. So it was just kind of that normally you like to hit the ground running, right? I'm going to go, I'm going to get my merch store going. I'm going to get booked in Japan or booked in, in Europe and stuff like that, but couldn't go anywhere. Couldn't work anywhere. That was the hardest part. Just not being able to do anything with wrestling or performing in general. You know, I couldn't even go get a job be doing Shakespeare because they're not running, they're not running shows, right? Broadway shut down. But, um, that was the hardest part. So I just kind of, uh, dove into the hobbies. You know, I, I jumped onto the Twitch stream. I, I kept working, wrestling with whiskey is a huge passion of mine and reviewing and diving into the world of whiskey and spirits. So kind of did a lot of that. And then thankfully Chicago has been pretty good with its, um, with his COVID kind of precautions. And so we've been able to have some wrestling here in the last month or two, and we're going to have more hopefully soon. And a couple more things are opening up. So it's been a slow, uh, but steady process. And it's just been a lot of patience and, uh, and hope kind of. Yeah. And well, you, you're obviously making the most of it and putting yourself out there. I've seen a lot of stuff you're doing and it's really enjoyable to watch. So I, I think a lot of wrestlers don't, promote themselves enough on the social media and you do a really good job of doing that I feel like I think I mean, you've got to be no one uh, they always tell you no one else is going to stick up for you but you sometimes so you got to be your own uh, your own worst critic sure but you got to be your own biggest fan as well exactly and, you know wrestling's a really tough business and like we spoke about there's a, it's a constant consistent on the road kind of job especially in the nitty gritty of the WWE grind kind of thing you know you're constantly away from your family and you're you're living the separate life almost how I've always wondered how difficult is it to really keep your mindset and yourself at the top of your game in terms of being physically fit and also mentally in the right place I mean it's having good especially on the road it was for me it was having good like riding buddies right like so for me, my longest term riding partner was Chad Gable. Um, not sh- I'm not going to say Shorty G. Chad Gable um, was him. I rode with American Alpha, and then when they split up, me and Chad kept riding together. But man, those guys, and especially Chad, have such a great discipline when it comes to diet and nutrition and um, and fitness. A guy, he's one of the most in shape guys in the entire roster. And so like I got on his routine. I was like, dude, I'm going to follow you. Like, let's, let's do your routine. So we'd wake up at the same time and eat the same things and train. Uh, you know, I would, he would bring us programs to do. And so like finding a good, having a good camaraderie and influence with your riding buddy can make all the difference, especially in like the health and fitness department. As is, a really good point because everyone talks about the camaraderie of investing and how important it is, especially being on the road that much. But with all that training and with the kind of schedule, is it, is it one of those things where, in terms of when it comes to actually go and you're doing the resin, what kind of conditioning does that require? Because I feel like it's not something that really is spoke about that much. Because I've had boxers on here, I've had other professional footballers and stuff where they all talk about the preparation, but nobody really 
says how difficult it actually is to have a 25-minute match and how quickly you can be blow out in that. What is the conditioning like for that? So what I like to tell a lot of people is um, it's a different kind of conditioning because the other thing is too, like we were talking about before, this business goes 12 months a year you know, there's, you know, when things aren't, when the world isn't in a pandemic, there are, you know, there's independent wrestling events all over the world every single weekend, right? So people, if you're a busy wrestler, you're working every week. So um, it's not like sometimes like even a UFC fighter or a boxer where you, all right, well, I know my big fight's coming up in three weeks. I got three weeks to train and you just focus on training and diet and all this stuff no, 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 I've got to fight this weekend and then tomorrow and then next weekend and the day after that and then the week after that. So it's been in that shape 24-7, you know what I mean? That's the hardest part about it is you have to be ready to do a 25-minute match on any given weekend of the year, uh, you know, all year long, that kind of thing. It is, and it's a different type of cardio. You can't just get it in the treadmill, you know what I mean? (laughs) You got to be, the only way you can get in wrestling shape is by having wrestling matches and just getting used to that kind of lifting people up and running and dropping down, jumping and all kinds of stuff. So it is totally a unique beast. Yeah. And then from that as well, you get, cause I've, I've heard that from a lot of people, a lot of this, let's talk about how it's, it's a bit like that, like you say, a different kind of conditioning, but then you also, I always thought growing up, I'm thinking, well, surely the mat was going to be nice and padded and, it's all going to be, you know, like, like you can have a good wrestling match, but you won't have to take, it won't be that sore. And, but we, me and my wee brother went to a wrestling school a number of years ago and I never took a bump in it, but I remember feeling the ring and going, they, what? That's crazy. Like, <laughs> I, I always thought that was mental that your t- the, the bumps must be excruciating at times having to do that. I mean, it, it's like you get we, we in wrestling, we call it a body callus. So like the way you get calluses on your hands from work and everything, your body just kind of builds up this kind of you get used to the bumps. It's it's for good, better or worse. You kind of do. And yeah, it's not it's people. It's not a big cushy spring, you know, in there. It's it's metal wood boards. And then usually a thin layer of like a foam pad, like a, a thin pad. And then the canvas over that. That's it. So like there's a little bit of give and there's a tiny bit of foam, but it's, mm, it is pretty stiff um, depending on the ring and everything like that. So you get used to it. You try to take your bumps as safely as possible. Um, There are certain, there are ways to do it to where, you know, you can spread out the impact. And so it's just, uh, it's, that's why keeping in shape and keeping especially like your neck and everything strong in that business is very, very key. Yeah, because that's something I've always found really impressive is the lack of injuries. How not you would, you would think if you're doing it all the time and the stuff is that hard, there would be more you know there'd be more injuries, which is why I think there's not as much of an appreciation to the type of athlete a wrestler really has to be to be that to be able to do that. I, I, think. I agree with you. <laughs> I wish I do. I wish more people in. And I think it's happening a little bit more than it was a long time ago, but I do. I wish more people in mainstream like media and even mainstream sports, you know, would, um, would, would throw a little bit more respect on pro wrestling. You know yeah. I mean? Again, it's that 52 week grind every single week of the year, no off season throwing ourselves against the mat. Like it is not an easy, is a very hard physical demanding job. So yeah, I, I agree with you. I'd like to see a little bit more, more as well. So 
you know, on this podcast, I, I've talked to Mike and Johnny and overcoming mental health sort of struggles with harassing myself in the chair to kind of switch lanes a wee bit. Um, you, the way you talk and the way you speak, you come across very positive, very upbeat, and a very good work ethic. Now, f- for me, getting to where I am now to have that kind of mindset, I'm nowhere near where you are, obviously, but I know that I've got the mindset now to kind of work towards that. What kind of, for me, it all kind of came from overcoming those things. What kind of things did you have to overcome from early age to be where you are at today? I mean, for me, I, I'll, I'll be perfectly frank. Like, I, I had a very blessed, like, childhood, right? Like, I had, I grew up in a great area, great parents and everything like that. So, I, I mean, right off the bat, I have a lot of advantages that a lot of people don't. I fully, I fully admit that. But, I mean... I, I was a shy kid. I had, I've had self-esteem issues my whole life just cause quiet, shy. I never thought I could be like good. I never thought I was going to be the guy, right? I, I was just, I just no confidence, you know? And that wasn't from, again, that wasn't from anything around me. I just, I don't know what it was. I just was so shy, so insecure in my own self in, you know, whether it was girls or sports or, you know, just even just being in front of people, you know, a crowd of kids in middle school. So for me, that, that was my biggest, it's just coming, getting over my insecurities. And, um, those can be crippling for a lot of people. Cause I mean, it, it, it's, and for me, the biggest thing was learning. I, I'm trying to think of like the best way to put it, but the kind of idea of pretty much no matter what happens, things can be okay. You know, for the most part, nine, you know, there are the few extremely devastating things that can happen to you that will, will have be, you know, cause unending, you know, really, really terrible things to happen. But 90% of the things that happen to you in life, you can pick yourself up in some way, shape or form. You know, you get fired, you can pick yourself up and, you know, find another job. You know, you lose a relationship, you divorce, something like that. You know, um, you can you can move on and, and find happiness, things like uh, things like that, um, injuries and stuff like that. You can recover. I've just found that most of the time and I know there are exceptions, but most of the time, the things that happen to you in life, you can get up, move on. And chances are become an even better person than you were before whatever happened. So once I just I always knew that it was like a safety net in the back of my mind of like, all right, I'm going to go do this. Even a simple thing for me, like acting again, shy kid didn't like speaking in front of people. But when my friend said I should audition, I said, yeah, you know what? Because for that little situation, I know the worst thing that happens is I go in and they say, nope, you're not, you know, you're not good enough. And I go, okay, I'm still alive. I'm still healthy. Like I will go on and I will try to be better. You know what I mean? You, I believe that you can always find a way. There is always a way to pick yourself up from any situation, move forward and become better than you were before. And so knowing that always helps me just push forward and try those things that seem scary. Try those things that seem impossible, that seem like they can't be happening, but always move forward and try those. You know, that's such a strong message to send that you were saying that I felt kind of motivated and inspired by it, to be honest because it's something I really believe in the sense of like everything you spoke about that had similar issues and similar struggles it just had happened to be because I was in a chair more than anything else to be honest and so to hear that from somebody that's in your kind of position and what you've overcame to then be able to sing in front of thousands of people you know so it shows you that anything is possible really 
It's true. And I mean, like to call it all the way back to what we've chatted about at the beginning uh, of the show and everything like that, those opportunities, you know, are not just for who you think they're for. You know what I mean? Like this, it's not just for the, you know, the able-bodied white men kind of thing. Like we, again, I'm going to call it back any race, color, creed, orientation, ability, you know, they, there are, there are people just like you, whoever you are, you know, I mean, I'm speaking direct to camera, not, not just to you, but to, you know, anybody who's, who's listening to this or watching or whatever, there is someone like you doing what you want to do. I promise you, they may not be on TV. They may not be the huge Instagram star or something, but I promise you somewhere in this world, no matter what your situation, there is somebody doing the thing you want to do and they're doing it well. And they've proven that, that anybody can do that. And so that's a message that, I mean, I'm the one saying it, but even I'm getting some goosebumps with it. Cause I just think, I think it's so true. And I think yeah. more people need to hear that. It's definitely true. And, and, you're totally right. I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And for me, it's like, you see this day and age as well, there's so many different problems with the kind of social media and there's like a growing kind of anxiety of, I want to be like that, I want to be like this, I want to be this person. And it's important to note that this sort of idea of perfection doesn't really exist. And, you know, there's always that, like you say, someone's always doing what you want to do. So, the, the worst that can happen is it doesn't go exactly the way you planned it to go, but and it, yeah. And, and it probably won't. And that's okay too. Like life takes amazing like curves and journey. Like don't, don't like deny it. Like, like you never, you never know where you're going to end up. You might end up somewhere you never expected, but it is even better than where you were thinking. Exactly. And to be honest, even for me, I started this a few months ago with the intention of I give people a bit of, a bigger voice, you know, for me, I felt like there was issues like we spoke about earlier, even does it, you know, disability representation and things like that, they just aren't really out there. And I think it's because we are sort of like, we're, you know, we're sort of coddled and cuddled and said, we don't really need to put ourselves out there. And I, I didn't want to do this at first because I don't like hearing myself talk. And I, I, it's, you know, it's, I don't, I don't, you know, you go back and you have to listen to your, your voice. And all that. Sure. Oh yeah. I, I hate it too. I still don't, I can't watch my own wrestling. I understand. <laughs> I understand that. Yeah, totally. And, and it's just, it's one of those things where I thought this is, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm too, I'm too nervous. I'm too anxious. I'm too up and down. I want, I want to do a podcast. So to sort of be sitting here, the, you know, with somebody that I used to watch on the telly <laughs> all the time, it's kind of surreal to me. And, and it just goes to show that you can achieve it and there's only spare mind to it. Absolutely. You're, you know, you're, like you said, they're a perfect example. Like you can make it happen no matter what your situation and everything like that. I, yeah, that, that you couldn't have put it better. So like this has been an amazing conversation for me, but what's now that we've talked about everything you've kind of, done and wrestling and came through what is now your main next step for you in your career i don't know like it's 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 hard obviously with you know the the global situation right now to kind of it's kind of just going week to week month to month but for me it's taking this opportunity to you know i want to really expand my horizons you know I, I one thing i learned with getting released from wwe is that I just lived WWE. It's pretty much all I did. And so like all my eggs were in one basket kind of situation. And now and that was taken from me. And so now it's like, you know what? 
I always thought, I'm like, I never want to be the guy with six jobs. That seems, oh God, I can't keep track of it. But now I kind of want to, like, I want to wrestle. I want to, you know, wrestle the way I've always wanted to wrestle. And so I'm going to do that on the independence or in other organizations. Um, I want to, I do, I want to explore the tech space and, and live streaming. I think it's such a cool platform in, in general and YouTube or Twitch or whatever it is. So I have a, have a presence there. My, this whiskey thing, it, it's a huge passion of mine. It seems weird. It seems kind of nerdy, but it's another just huge passion of mine. And I've had a lot of success in a short time there just because I've gone head on in head over heels in there. And so between that and the, even, even fitness can throw in there. So like, I, for me, it's just kind of spreading my net and uh, trying to like just do as much as I can and, and really like try all kinds of different things and expand that going forward. Exactly. And it kind of goes back to that message we were talking about earlier of you don't have to fit in that one box. It doesn't have it's to. It's absolutely true. Yeah, you can be any number of things all at the same time. You're not, you're never just one thing. Especially when the access is there, the media is stronger than it's ever been before. You can literally go out and do everything you ever want to do. I mean, I, I for me, it was like I've always wanted to put myself out there more, but never really had the kind of courage to do it. And with the COVID situation and the lockdown, I finally gave it a go. And, and now here we are, and nine or so episodes in, a few recorded, and I'm sitting with somebody that I was a huge fan of a few years ago watching on the TV. So um, it's, it's been kind of surreal for me to have you on. And you've said a lot of really positive things. I think a lot of people will take a lot of things from this. So thank you. Oh. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, if anybody can take anything from this that that helps them helps them see, you know, see something differently or reaffirms what they do see, I, I hope so. And I appreciate you giving me the chance to to kind of share that message. And then thank you for for putting that out there as well. Of course, of course. Because I, I just felt like, you know, you you've all, you probably would have done loads of different wrestling interviews, getting the same, getting kind of similar questions and similar things. So when somebody approaches you for a podcast, you're like, well, that's, I'm going to be asking the same things I always answer. And from, so for me, it was always, and that's the same case with a lot of podcasts can have similar sort of things going on. And I I was the only one to do it. I felt as if I could come up with something that was going to actually help people and, and have... The, the reason why I'm able to do this, the reason why I had the confidence to do this and talk to you right now isn't because of anything to do with my ego. Because if it was to do with me, I would not be able to do it. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's wanting to give other people a voice and help them through these things and, and say, if I could have watched a podcast with somebody when I was younger, had to think of this was me talking to someone like Absolutely. you, it would have made a huge difference to me. So that's just me just trying to help as many people as I can, and that's really what it's all about. And the fact that resonated with you so strongly is something that I really appreciate. Oh yeah, no, and that, that's a great that's a great way to put it. I always think about when you yeah when you were young or when you were someone who was who was thinking about that. What would you want to see? And so the fact that you're doing that is awesome. Uh, I, so where can people find you then, Matt, on social media? I mean, uh, if you, you can follow me at Drama King Matt, pretty much everywhere: Twitter, Instagram, Twitch as well. Or Wrestling with Whiskey is also on Instagram and YouTube. And uh, yeah, so like you basically look up Wrestling with Whiskey or Drama King Matt, and it will lead you right to me. A reminder, this podcast is sponsored by KO Financial. 
who are currently offering free wills to everyone, even if you're not a client. Don't be in the 60% of adults that are will. Call KO Financial on 0141-447-0290 or email advice at kofinancial.co.uk for more information. Thank you for listening, everyone. Next week, we are joined by the undisputed welterweight champion, unified super lightweight champion of the world, Jessica McCaskill, where she goes through a really inspiring story of how she was once homeless to now being the champion of the world in boxing in her division. It was really quite incredible. Be sure to tune in for that next Sunday, 12pm UK time. And you can support us on all our social media platforms. Thank you again for listening and we'll see you next week.